we specialize in finding situations that create cost savings and add property value for properties in flood zones. You know, so it all started with, you know, essentially finding that properties can be taken out of the flood zones. Welcome to the Apartment Investing Journey, where we explore every facet of multifamily investing and development with top investors, brokers, and service providers who share their strategies, successes, and secrets to help you on your apartment investing journey. Hey guys, David Robinson here. Welcome to the Apartment Investing Journey. We've got another great guest for you today that has some expertise in a particular area of our world that uh, I believe will be very helpful and interesting to you all. So without further ado, DJ McClure, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So DJ is the Director of Sales and Business Development at National Flood Experts, a specialized engineering firm based in Tampa, Florida. He oversees a team working with investors around the country to add value to their assets in flood zones where to date, the team has added over $200 million in property value for their clients. And uh, we have a case study that we'll be diving into a little bit later that'll shed some light on uh, the tremendous amount of value that DJ and his team can bring to your deals. And so, DJ, before we dive into that and get into some details about your expertise, if you don't mind, uh, we'd like to hear a little bit about your own personal journey and how you got into the space that you're in and, and what that looked like for you. So if you don't mind, back up and tell us a little bit about how it all started for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm from Kentucky originally, grew up playing tennis uh, in all sports really as a kid. And so uh, I ended up playing tennis in college and had a career as a pro tennis coach through my 20s. And so naturally, you know, you interact with lots of different individuals, lots of different industries. Uh, real estate's always been a bit of a, you know, kind of fascination of mine. And so as I was getting out of the tennis industry, you know, I connected with you know, Brad Hubbard, our owner here in Tampa, and was just really blown away by the service and kind of the niche industry that, that he's somewhat really pioneered. And, uh, you know, for us, we get to work in between lots of different industries of real estate. Obviously, there's an insurance and engineering component to our expertise. It's a learned skill, but um, this has really enabled me to build a solid network with, you know, real estate professionals around the country. And, my wife and I were able to accomplish a couple goals and, you know, get into a few of our own uh, apartment deals, you know, this year on the passive side. So it's been, been a great journey so far. That's awesome. And so when did you make the transition from pro tennis coach to this new career? Rough, uh, well, rough so, estimate. Uh, it was about almost four years ago. Okay, great. And what, what attracted you to the industry? Was it Brad himself? Was it the industry? Did you have any other experience in the space? What, uh, what pulled you away from what I'm guessing was more of a passion project for you being a pro tennis coach to then, you know, transitioning to more of a corporate, you know, business environment? You know, I had some experience with uh, some personal single family real estate. And so as I was just looking you know, mainly to kind of make the next transition, I would tell people that my expertise was always in people. And you know, tennis just happened to be what we were working on at the time. But, you know, sales has always been a big passion of mine and helping people. And so one of the biggest things that really just hit me right away in, in meeting this company was their passion for helping people. And so when you talk about the process that we go through, it was much like 
the process of any coach, you know, identifying, you know, what the main problem and goal is, and then putting a solution in place, you know, to help achieve that. So it was a, a lot of parallel thinking uh, and process that made for a really, uh, you know, seamless transition. Yeah, love it. That's great. So what did, uh, how have the last four years progressed for you? What, uh, what has this journey into a new profession looked like? Uh, how did it start? How did you build your role inside of the company and, and your knowledge and, and all that? You know, the first steps were really just diving into the knowledge base. You know, we have multiple engineers on staff here that, you know, everyone on our team learns from from the beginning. And then, you know, just kind of having a passion for information. That's how I've always been in other careers. You know, I want to know to the, the most uh, marginal detail of how something works. Uh, so naturally at the tennis, I got into the sports science piece of it. You know, so from when I joined National Flight Experts, it was the same. You know, I wanted to be able to get deep into the engineering side. You know, we have a very deep insurance expertise internally as well. And so really trying to, you know, really position myself uh, with people around the country and internally that I could learn from. And then real estate has been an ongoing journey in terms of understanding different asset classes. And you know, we work in so many different verticals, multifamily just being one of them, of course. And understanding how each one's a little different and, you know, really being able to understand how we position ourselves to be the best resource possible. And so I think that's a good segue. Thank you for sharing some detail on your background and how you got into the space. It's a great segue into sharing with us exactly what National Flood Experts does. It it sounds like there's a few facets to your business, but if you don't mind, maybe just at, at a high level, explain to us what you focus on. Sure. So as an engineering company, you know, we specialize in finding situations that create cost savings and add property value for properties in flood zones. And, you know, so it all started with, you know, essentially finding that properties can be taken out of the flood zones. So the initial service was, you know, looking for properties where the engineering criteria would, would qualify this scenario. And then over the years, our consulting umbrella of services has expanded to be able to find different types of cost savings for, you know, the actual flood insurance policies themselves whenever the flood zone can't be changed, for example. Yeah. And what a great marketing strategy. I mean, if you were to look at it from a marketing strategy, to be able to go with the entry point of, hey, let's identify whether or not we can remove your property from flood zone, right? And if you can, huge win. If we can't, we still have this, you know, portfolio of services that we can help you with uh, if it stays in the flood zone. So, maybe talk to us for for the new investor who's maybe inexperienced with flood zones and how insurance works and how this process works. Maybe shed some light on this space for the new investor and what they should be aware of and looking for as it relates to flood zones and insurance. Sure. So across the country, you have you know, different areas that they have deemed as the 100-year flood zone. And though that's not a literal term, and from a federal law standpoint and banking compliance, what this means is that any structure that falls within a 100-year flood zone is going to be required for flood insurance to have proof of that on the loan itself at closing. And so what happens is that as you're closing a property, naturally, there's so many other variables that you're trying to, you know, get past to close the deal. In most cases, a first-time investor may just buy the flood insurance and really not have much other options. So 
you know, kind of understanding where these requirements come from is the base. And then secondly, you know, understanding that flood insurance is a little unique compared to other types of insurance because it's so data driven. And so naturally with data, if there's any variable that has any certain level of inaccuracy for whatever reason, that has a consequence on, you know, the end cost. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about that. Help me understand better how the data has an impact on the cost of the insurance. Well, for example, um, with the you know historic way that flood insurance has been rated, they're looking at the type of flood zone that it's in. They're looking at particular elevation variables of the area, different categories of the type of building that it may be. So if any one of these variables tends to be perhaps miscategorized, or something happens to where even a typo, for example, you know, that can have a direct impact on the cost. Sometimes we're talking down to a tenth of a foot can mm. be sometimes thousands of dollars difference. Interesting. And so I think with that sort of overall encompassing description, how would a new client engage with you? What's the first step and when should they engage with a company like yours? Right. So we work with properties in all stages of the life cycle. You know, so if someone has properties in their uh, portfolio right now that they have a flood insurance requirement, it's really not more complicated than that. Anyone is worth looking at. So if you engage our team, they will do our you know, comprehensive review, looking at the current flood insurance declaration pages, elevation data on the buildings, if that's available. And then we would do some other research ourselves. And really, we start just dissecting all the information. And so we do that desktop review at no cost because, you know, naturally, we can't guarantee that we'll find anything. You know, so every month, we're looking at hundreds of properties around the country, you know, with a hit rate of typically about 55%, give or take, that we find a solution. Wow. And then once we identify what the solution and what the before and after could be, at that point, that's when we'll have a conversation with, you know, the, the business owner of, uh, what the next steps might look like. And so at what stage should a uh, investor engage with your company? I'm assuming that this is at the due diligence stage before they've acquired the asset. Is that correct? Yeah. If we're talking about uh, with a new acquisition, it uh, could start even as soon as when you first start underwriting the deal, because you, at that point you may just have an address. And so we have lots of investors that just reach out and say, Hey, I like this deal. Can you do a quick bit of research for us? And Honestly, within a couple minutes, we can provide some pretty quick high-level details. And I do that for investors all the time. Quick details like, hey, I noticed that looks like about five or six buildings are in the flood zone. Uh, so you should expect a requirement for those. Hey, it looks like you know maybe we've done some projects in the same area. So sometimes we even have some really specific demographic details that we can provide to just help give some color. And then as they get farther into the due diligence, now they can actually get these documents from the seller. And surprisingly, we even have cases where we can get the map amendment approved by FEMA even before closing. So naturally, there's cases where you can leverage this into the loan proceeds, you know, avoid extra closing costs, uh, et cetera. Yeah, love that. I'm curious, and this is just a very random question about your business model, but is there any effort put in by your team to identify properties that may be miscategorized and then reaching out directly to those owners to notify them or inform them of the situation. 
or do you generally wait for the property owners to reach out to you? So actually, I have a full account management sales team that uh, is reaching out to owners every day. And so we have a research department of the company that essentially studies the flood maps and builds out targets and identifies buildings that we think may have opportunity. And so then my sales team is reaching out with a bit of a cold call, if you will, mm-hmm. just trying to educate these property owners on what the opportunity may be and, that, and why it might be worthwhile for our team to just take a look. Yeah, love it. Well, let's segue into this little mini case study uh, on a deal that you worked on in Virginia. If you can, maybe just set the stage and describe this situation for us. Yeah, so this uh, particular scenario started with a cold call, believe it or not. It was several, several months in the making. You know, naturally, they'd not heard of this type of service before. So there's a little bit of obscurity that you kind of have to break through. But they had six properties, um, a few in Virginia, and then a few others that were in North Carolina. You know, so they had a bit of an expanded footprint. And so as we started getting into conversations, explaining the process, you know, naturally, we were just gathering information in the beginning. For them, it was the most efficient to do the review of all six properties at once. So as we gathered all the insurance information, we start building a timeline at that point based on when those policies are going to renew again. Because if we can get these solutions approved before renewal, in many cases, there's a refund they'll get back even on their prior term. Perhaps they may or may not want to renew the flood insurance entirely. So you know, the, the timeline really can dictate how quickly some things need to happen. And so as we reviewed the different properties, you know, they really didn't have a lot of elevation information available. You know, so some of the topography research and flood zone research we were doing just from our office here. And we gave them a very uh, strong level of confidence that it was worthwhile to send one of our engineers actually to the properties, do the data collection ourselves, and then at that point, we'd bring the information back and then fully evaluate what solutions are possible. So that process took a little bit of time. Yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, uh, from a cost perspective for your services, uh, at what stage would one, uh, it, it sounds like you, there's some level of, you know, research that's done uh, complementary to determine if there's a likelihood of an opportunity. At what stage in that timeline or that process do they fully engage with you to have you execute on your process? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, honestly, everything we do up front from here in the office is, is complimentary when we're trying to qualify these solutions, but it typically leads us to a couple of different roads. If there's a um, holes in the data or there's more information that's necessary for us to, you know, fully qualify what the solution would be, that's when it may be that we recommend sending one of our engineers to the site. And we'll give them what the cost would be for that upfront. You know, naturally, we don't want someone to just spend money on survey costs kind of with no potential outcome. You know, so we'll give them a full transparent. We think this is 80%. Hey, this might be 50-50. And then let them make a decision if it, if it seems like a worthwhile investment. But honestly, we're just trying to cover our time and travel when we do go out to the site because what we're then looking for is can we change the flood zone? Can we find a way to make the policy, you know, uh, at a reduced cost? And what are the engine when they do come out to do the on-site? What are your engineers looking for? 
Well, there's building specific information that we're gathering because what's happening is the flood zones are in some areas blanketing entire, you know, multiple, multiple properties at a time, if you will. Right. And so what we're doing is we're gathering a, a more micro level type data on the building specifically. So that way we can go to FEMA or to the insurance carrier and say, Hey, here's the specifics as to why, you know, this solution is qualified. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So take us forward from there. The engineer comes out, they go through their process of identifying, you know, these, these points to determine whether or not you have a case to be made. Where do things go from there? Yeah. So not every, not every case requires us to go on site just to mention that. So a lot of times they do have all the information we need. In this case, we had to go out to all six. We brought all the information back and, you know, they had one particular property itself that was paying about 220000 a year in flood insurance. And if, if you can believe it, it was only for about 10 buildings. Hmm. You know, so it was, some of the buildings were upwards of 20000 a year each. Yeah, and so that particular property had the closest renewal date. And so we did qualify that we could get all the buildings changed from an AE flood zone, which is one of the high-risk flood zones, to an X zone. Now, in an X zone, there is no lender mandate any longer for the mm. flood insurance. Uh, they did choose to keep the policy, so they just converted them to X zone policies. So at the time, that was about $750 a year for the exact same policy they had before. So, so they got tw- a refund did, back. Did I get this right? Twenty thousand from twenty thousand dollars to seven hundred and fifty dollars per year. Correct. Uh. Right. So they got a refund for the previous year. We had it done literally two days before the renewal. So then they were able to recapture, you know, the, that savings for the following year as well. Yes. Yeah, so mm. That one property by itself was uh, was quite substantial. And then with the other five properties. You know, we were finding a hybrid of uh, buildings we could have moved to an X zone in addition to other situations where we could get the rating increased. So there were some buildings where the flood zone didn't change, but we were still able to get the premium cost lowered. You know, so all said and done, ended up being about a $350,000 annual savings that they realized. My goodness. So three hundred fifty grand in annual savings. Uh, we can do the math on that real quick uh, based on a cap rate and uh, see what kind of value your team added to that property owner. And how long did that process take from beginning to end? Let's say start to finish the whole thing took just a couple months, you know, building in the first month was really the data collection piece. That larger project I was describing, we actually had that approved with FEMA in about seven days. Hmm. You know, so we have certain channels that we can expedite certain types of projects through. But then, yeah, some of the other projects just took, you know, another four to six weeks at that point to get all wrapped up and then happy client. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, okay. So obviously that's a great case study of uh, when your services really do hit a home run. There's times, I'm sure, that when you dig into this, you realize, okay, uh, you know what? It is appropriately categorized here. What do you guys do at that stage? Right. So we look at cases every day where you know our engineers comb through all the data, and sometimes there's just nothing to be done. So you know we work adjacently with you know a lot of our clients' insurance brokers to just try to give them information, uh, especially if we couldn't do anything 
at least to where they know if they have historically been with a certain carrier, gives them information to where then if they do want to go look in other markets for the flood policy itself, they've got some information to take with them. And so you've got, you know, obviously the NFIP, the National Flood Insurance Program, uh, that anyone can qualify for a property or a policy for in most cases. And then you have a lot of private carriers that have now come into the multifamily space as well, you know, for flood insurance. So it's really just trying to give any information that can still create some value. And so do you guys, uh, so you do not have an arm of your business that does provide the insurance as well. Is that correct? That's correct. We're just on the engineering side. You know, we work adjacently to lots of brokers around the country. So we stay very neutral in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And uh, just because I'm curious, how does the compensation model work for you guys? Uh, is it fee-based? Is it percentage of savings-based? How does that work? You know, we have two categories of projects, right? So we have the MAP amendment projects where it's just based on a one-year premium cost per building that we're able to get approved. And then on our consulting side, you know, in those situations, we're getting the rating of the policy approved. And so they're seeing a cost reduction and a refund as a result. So in that case, we're just charging them uh, what the refund is that's been confirmed. But mm. with all our projects, they're all contingency-based. You know, So we guarantee the success of the project. And if anything were to ever fail, then the client doesn't receive an invoice for that project. Yeah. What other information should we have discussed that I haven't asked about that would be helpful to our listeners as it relates to your services? Yeah, so I think it's important to talk about, you know, how these things can change throughout the cycle of business plan, you know, because like I mentioned to you earlier on, you know, I'm invested in a few deals myself and, and one of the particular deals, they had a bridge loan to get through the first couple of years at a two year bridge with a one year extension uh, with plans of refinancing to agency debt in year three, right? So uh, that particular deal itself is not in a flood zone. However, uh, we run into several in that same scenario with that same plan that are in a flood zone. And so what happens is that the actual flood insurance requirements that they have with the first loan may only be what they call the NFIP max, meaning they only want about 500000 in coverage per building uh, as the maximum. Whereas when you get into a Fannie Mae or a Freddie Mac situation, now you start introducing higher limits. In most cases, they want the full building value to be insured on the flood policy. And they also, in most cases, want business income insured as well. Now, what happens is that if the buildings are worth a million dollars each and they want 12 months of the business income, they have to then go and get a secondary flood policy uh, in excess of that NFIP limit. Mm. And so, you know, a, a novice, not really not even to use that word, just someone that's never had to go through this process may not be fully aware of those changes coming in, you know, year three, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And would you encourage investors to engage with your company, regardless of what they know? Do you, do you find that uh, you guys are able to uncover more than what a, a a previous owner has uncovered. I mean, clearly you've done it on this particular deal and, and many others. I'm just wondering if uh, if there's any key points of information that an investor can look at and say, you know what, 
this is a red flag for me and I should probably go and engage with, with DJ over at national flood experts, or, I mean, is there a red flag or do I not waste my time on that? And I can, I can see that at a high level. Does that make sense? That's a very odd question, but I'm just trying to determine if there's some, some key red flags that we could see as we're underwriting a deal that would say, absolutely need to go talk to these guys. Yeah, no, I totally understand your question. You know, I would say there's situations where a previous seller may have attempted to do something, um, but maybe there's a couple buildings that still were left with the flood requirement or where, you know, they had a really great insurance broker that really was able to get the cost down. But again, it's still worth our team taking a look because we're coming in purely from an engineering angle. You know, so regardless of what's been looked at before, things change over time. Flood maps change, flood elevations change. And so there's just so many variables that come into the situation. If they still have a requirement on the buildings, you know, it's still worth our team taking a look. Yeah, love it. Well, DJ, I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for shedding some light on this process for us and walking through this uh, case study of this, you know, six property deal in Virginia and North Carolina, uh, an incredible savings there. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you and learn more about your services or engage with you on a particular deal that they're working on or that they own? Yeah, they're happy to reach out. They can send an email to info at nationalfloodexperts.com. You know, I see all those emails as they come in. And so if, if it's myself or one of my team, we'll be happy to engage and, and educate on what we might be able to do to help. Yeah, love it. We'll have that link to that email in the show notes. So feel free to reach out to DJ and his team. DJ, again, an honor to have you come on the show, uh, shed some light on this topic for us and your expertise. And thanks for sharing a little bit about your journey as well. And uh, congratulations on your success with you and your company. And we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Sir, Thank you. Hey, before you go, if you and I haven't connected yet, please head on over to canovocapital.com. You can join our investor network or download our free passive investors guide to multifamily syndications. Either way, I'd love to connect with you personally. Also, I just want to thank you for listening to the show and providing feedback and reviews. If you haven't already, please, please, please take a second and leave us a rating and written review. This helps us to be found by new listeners and helps us attract great guests in the future. Thanks again for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great day.